Welcome to the Emmanuel Baptist Church Podcast. We pray that the sermon you're about to hear would be useful as you grow in your love for God and your love for His church. Now, here's today's sermon. So if you have your copy of God's Word, um, or you can grab a hardback one and a seat in front of you, we're going to be in the book of Proverbs in chapter 7. Chapter 7. Have you ever had to have an intervention with somebody? Like a sit down, hey, got to have a conversation here. Or maybe you and multiple people have kind of got together and had that intervention with somebody. I remember in college I did with a, a friend of mine. He uh, started dating this girl. And it's, you, know, you could just tell, like, oh, this is not good. You know, you're just a different person since you started dating her. Um, doesn't look like the relationship is going a good direction. Not good for your spiritual health. I love you too much not to say it, you know, to sit down and have that conversation with him like, hey, I really think you need to cut ties with her. I think you, um, I don't think you're good for her. I don't think she's good for you. I think you're just a bad match. Um, And really trying to talk him out of that relationship. You ever had to do that? That is top, uh, top of the list, awkward conversations, but they're important if necessary. And um, so far in the book of Proverbs, we saw the, we've seen the father urging his son to pick the right woman. In in all the letters leading up to this final letter, we are in the final letter, by the way, Uh, the father writing to the son, and, and there's really been two women that have been talked about in the six chapters leading up to this point, and that's Lady Wisdom and the Seductress. Two women that are competing for the son's attention, and both, both symbolic, of course, for the path of God. That's Lady Wisdom following the, the words of God, the decrees of God, the plan for God, or the Seductress following the path of folly, and lusts, and worldly desires. The Father really wants him to be a godly man growing up. And so he's writing these letters in this poetic way of saying, choose the right woman. And that other woman is not good for you. She's not right for you. Well, today we get to the final letter, the final speech, and it's the longest. So, I know our MO is going verse by verse. We're not going to do that tonight um, because it is three chapters long. Chapter 7, chapter 8, and chapter 9 are all one big thought. Um, where he starts in 7-1, it's not going to be on the screen, but just saying, My son, keep my words and treasure up my commandments with you. That's how he starts every letter. But this one goes for three chapters. Okay? Um, so we're only going to really look at highlights in it, but I want to give you the, the outline of the letter first to kind of give you a little bit of a framework as we walk through it and look at the highlights. Um, it, it really, it reads almost as if a debate, you know, a formal debate where the two sides are sitting up on the platform, one gets to walk up, and they give their big appeal, or their big address, and they go and sit down, and then the other, the other party comes up, and they give their big spiel, 
and they have the same amount of time, and they go and sit down, and then that person comes back up and gives a rebuttal, and they come up and they give a rebuttal to that rebuttal. I don't actually know how it goes, but, and then they both have final remarks. This really reads like a formal debate, kind of. It, its structure is an, ready for this, an A-B-B-A, A-B-B-A. That's like literary terms. Um, for the seductress goes first, and then Lady Wisdom gives her appeal, and then Lady Wisdom gives her final comments, and the seductress gets the last word. A, B, B, A. Chapter 7 is the entire, uh, is, is the seductress. All of chapter 7 is the seductress trying to win the attention of the sun giving her best arguments to choose her and choose the world. Chapter 8 is Lady Wisdom giving her long address to the sun, her final address to the sun. And then, and then chapter 9 is split in half where they both get final remarks. The first half of chapter 9 is Lady Wisdom. The second half is the seductress on the way of falling. And the sun is the audience. The sun is sitting where you're sitting, listening to both go back and forth, back and forth, and by the end of it, he has to decide. Who's he going to pick? What road is he going to go down? You know, like The Bachelor? Like, who's going to get the rose? <laughs> Who'd have thought I would ever use The Bachelor as an analogy in a sermon? now say I have. I'll give one last precursory comment before we get into the text, and that is this is another letter, like a few others before this one, which is primarily about lust and sexual temptation. It is. We're, we're going to see that tonight as we go through the text. That's just the reality of it. Um, and so some might say, oh, that's not applicable to me. Well, I've come to find that there really is no age exempt from this enticement, this snare. So I think it's applicable to all age groups and all people. But also, I would say that while sex is the direct context of this passage or this letter, the seductress could also represent countless of other temptations, not just sex. That's the initial context. That's what was originally thought of. But I think the seductress aptly fits, accurately fits a lot of temptations. All right, the temptation to be judgmental or critical hearted. And just to be so critical of people. That's alluring and that's drawing. And then there's the way of God, and we have to pick the two, right? So at the end of the day, the seductress doesn't only have to represent sex. It can represent being judgmental and being critical. The, the seductress could represent the temptation to coast through life or the remainder of it, what years you have left, what years I have left, not press into ministry, 
just to kick my feet up and say, I've done my part. That, that's the seductress speaking. And then there's Lady Wisdom calling us to press into ministry, to follow God's path for us. So, it doesn't only have to be the context of sex. But even if sexual temptation uh, is not a particular struggle for you, maybe it is, maybe it isn't, I do want to say this. You may never know. But it could be the hardest battle that your neighbor right now is fighting. And they've never given any kind of suggestion to you that that's the case. The person sitting next to you could really be wrestling with it, even if you're not. It's worth looking at. So, let's consider this text this morning. And again, like I said, we're going to hit the highlights in these three chapters. Chapter 7, chapter 8, and chapter 9. And try to get the big picture understood. So, the first, the first appeal is by the seductress, the temptress. Lady Folly, sometimes called. I want to read just, again, it's just part of chapter 7, but let me read verses seven or 10 through 20. Chapter 7, verses 10 through 20. I'm going to read all of it right here. This is the seductress. It says, And behold, the woman meets him, dressed as a prostitute, wily of heart. She is loud. She's wayward. Her feet do not stay at home. Now in the street, now in the market, and at every corner she lies in wait. She seizes him, she kisses him, and with bold face she says to him, I had to offer sacrifices and today I've paid my vows, so now I've come out to meet you, to seek you eagerly, and I found you. I've spread my couch with coverings, colored linens with Egyptian linens. I have perfumed my bed with myrrh, aloes, and cinnamon. Come, let us take our fill of love till morning. Let us delight ourselves with love. For my husband is not home. He's gone on a long journey. He took a bag of money with him. At full moon, he will come home. That's the first appeal in the formal debate between the two, trying to win the heart of the son. Notice a couple things that I just want to highlight here in that. First, notice her, her approach to him, how she approaches him. First, she is a consistent presence. I just want to highlight a little bit. I mean, she's just everywhere. If you're, if you're looking there again in verse 12, she was in the streets, then she's in the market. At every corner that he walks, she lies in wait, ready for him. She's everywhere. Everywhere he turns, everywhere, she, everywhere he goes, she's there. It's the temptations of life. They're everywhere. They're present. That is no less true now than it was then. It's in our face. It's everywhere we look. The temptation to walk away from God and to give ourselves to lusts and pleasures of this world. Right? Social media, TV, movies. Goodness sakes, Walmart. It's everywhere. Every corner we take. I think that just shows how bad Satan wants your heart. How bad Satan wants your affections. 
in your allegiance. Know that. Because I think when we underestimate that, we set ourselves up to fall prey. He's everywhere. The temptation is everywhere. And you can't avoid it. So she approaches him just consistently, always present. But then also look at, she's not passive at all. She is not shy. Temptation is not shy. But it says that she dresses like a prostitute. She's wily. She's loud. Verse 13, she seizes him. And with a bold face, she says to him. Do you see just how aggressive temptation is? Not just ever present, but when present, aggressive. Not passive. I think that's, again, it's true with the temptations that most easily went over your heart and went over my heart, right? Unrelenting. Bombarding. You could say overwhelming. So we can see how she approaches him, but then also notice how she, what she says to him. When she comes to him, verse 14 onward, 14 to 20, notice what she says to him. First, is it interesting how she claims to be a godly woman, a religious woman? She said, sorry I didn't make it to you until now. I had to offer sacrifices. I I paid my vows to God this morning. And now I've made it to you. That's really easy to miss, but notice that. She claims religiosity. She claims godliness. I know how true that is with people today. I go to church. I never miss a Sunday. I read my Bible. I pick it up every morning. It sits on the dash of my car, right? Claims religiosity. It claims to be close to God. I was uh, talking to a friend yesterday, and he's been witnessing to a family member of his that is just going down a really dark path. Claims Christianity that family member of his, claims Christianity, claims to be a Bible-believing, heart-transformed, spirit-filled God-follower. Going down this dark path, leaving his wife, so many things, and and my friend was talking to him, saying, do you see what the Bible's saying, though, about the way you're living? His family member wanted to hear nothing of it. Hey, sometimes you just have to put that Bible away. And and we can say, wow, clearly not a Christian. And I would agree, that's not the fruit of a Christian. But how common that is to claim Christianity, to claim religiosity, and yet that verbalized claim is about the only fruit you might see in the individual. Otherwise, hateful, rude, hurtful, ungodly, and yet claims Christ. 
see that about the seductress. Second thing that I think we can see about the seductress, uh, verse 18, she claims that it, it's just going to be quick. It's going to be a short term. You're not signing your life away. You're not putting your are putting blood on the signature line. Verse 18. It's come, let us take our fill till morning. I think that just stands out because we like immediate gratification, quick, find satisfaction in our sin. She says, just right now. It's just right now. Just think about the right now. And oh, how enticing that is to think, oh, just right now. Just real quick. Stood out. But then also, she claims that it's going to remain secret. You see that in verse 19? Let us take our delight with love, for my husband is not home. He's gone on a long journey. What's she promising there? She's promising no one's going to find out. We're good. She's promising secrecy. How enticing sin is when we think that we have the promise of secrecy and no one's going to find out. So what can we apply from this to this first appeal given by the seductress to the son listening or to you and I listening? Well, we should expect temptation to be all the time, nonstop, in your face, bold and aggressive, strong and overwhelming, and deceptively convincing just for a short while, and no one's going to find out. When you think of temptation that way, all the time, in your face, bold and aggressive, and very convincing, and then I think about how Jesus withstood it for 33 years. I think, how amazing is my Savior? How amazing is my God? That for 33 years, because He loved me so much, He withstood that so that when it came time, he would die for me, but he knew he had to die a perfect man in my place. And so for 33 years, he was bombarded with in-your-face temptations. At every corner he walked, it was there, which seemed deceptively convincing Remember this morning, Matthew chapter 4, using scripture to try to convince him in the wilderness, and yet he rejected all of it because he wanted to be the perfect sacrifice for me. How amazing is my Savior. Wow. And then I think, how in the world can I do it, though? I think the only way we, we, we can withstand temptation is by his Spirit dwelling in us through faith. And so if you don't have that, the Spirit of God living within you because you have faith in him. Can I tell you, you have no chance against temptation. You don't. And may you have the Spirit of God come into your life through faith tonight, if you don't already. It is our only chance against what the world throws at us. It's by the Spirit of God in us. And so this is the, the seductress's appeal, and then she sits down, and then the lady wisdom comes up, and that's all of chapter 8. And oh, I just, if we could read all of chapter 8, I, I would love to, but we don't have time, and so I encourage you, at a later time, read Proverbs 8. It is, it's amazing. 
But I want to highlight a few things. First, about Lady Wisdom, we can't read her entire address. But first, I want to highlight that her ways are right. She makes that clear in verses 6 through 9. Let me read them. This is Lady Wisdom now speaking. She says, Hear, for I will speak noble things, and from my lips will come what is right. For my mouth will utter truth. Wickedness is an abomination to my lips. All the words of my mouth are righteous. There is nothing twisted or crooked in them. They are all straight to him who understands and right to those who find knowledge. Do you see a theme there? All of Lady Wisdom's ways are right, truthful, straight. And that's the complete opposite of the seductress, right? Who just lied the entire time. Her entire address was one big lie. Saying that the consequences of sin are just temporary, just for one night. Get back into your life tomorrow. How many of you know that it just takes one sin to wreck a family? To ruin a family. That sin doesn't stay there that night. It wakes up with you in the morning and it goes with you. It's a lie. Just the morning or just tonight? It's a lie. It's a lie that she says that she's a godly person because we know that godliness cannot live in the same company as that. It's a lie that the sin can remain secret because we know it always comes to light. It's always found out. But Lady Wisdom is right. She speaks the truth. Secondly, Lady Wisdom, her ways are far more valuable than anything else. Let me read verses 10 and 11. She says, Take my instruction instead of silver, and knowledge rather than choice gold, for wisdom is better than jewels, and all that you may desire cannot compare with her. Ultimately, we can know this is chiefly true about Christ, isn't it? The greatest treasure that we could ever have is not something of this world, but Christ himself, right? Can I just tell you, that's the greatest weapon to kill sin. I think, I think all of us are just trying to think of ways like, oh, how can I get this sin out of my life? It's an accountability partner. It's a, it's a program on my phone. It's, a, it's a this and it's that. It's all those things can be good. Are you looking for the best weapon to kill the sin in your life? It is seeing Christ as more valuable. It's that. We can look at all these other techniques and strategies, but at the end of the day, it's seeing Christ as the treasure that he is, more valuable than whatever else you're enticed by. It's that. It's that. When you see Christ as most gloriously to be treasured, most amazing to be adored, that is how you kill the sin in your life. 
think so many of us just forget that. More topic on the, on the treasure and the, the treasures that come with the two ladies later. Um, the last thing I want to highlight about Lady Wisdom is that her ways are older than the earth itself. This is amazing. Let me just read. It's going to be a little bit of a longer part, but verses 22 through 31. 22 through 31 of chapter 8. This is it. It says, The Lord possessed me at the beginning of his work. Still, this is Lady Wisdom talking. He possessed me at the beginning of his work, the first of his acts of old. Ages ago, I was set up. At the first, before the beginning of the earth. When there were no paths or no depths, I was brought forth. When there was no springs abounding with water, before the mountains had been shaped, before the hills, I was brought forth. Before he had made the earth with its fields or the first of the dust of the world. When he established the heavens, I was there. When he drew a circle on the face of the deep, when he had made firm the skies above, when he had established the fountains of the deep, when he assigned to the sea its limit so that the waters might not transgress his command, when he marked out the foundations of the earth, then I was beside him like a master workman, and I was daily his delight rejoicing before him always, rejoicing in his inhabited world and delighting in the children of man. Wow. Wow. Heard the phrase, with age comes wisdom, right? With age comes wisdom. And that means then youthfulness should humble you, right? I remember uh, Sarah, Sarah, whenever she started driving, we were dating back then, right? So when she was trying to get her driver's license, I would give her, uh, I would bring her to a parking lot, she could try to drive. Um, and, and I remember she also tried to drive with her parents before she got her driver's um, permit, actually, too, but driver's license. And <laughs> I remember uh, she called me because she was trying to learn, and her mom was showing her how to leave the, the driveway and go down the street. And her mom's like, now, Sarah, you need to take a wide turn. And she goes, mom, stop. I know what I'm doing. You ever heard that? Yeah. Like, mom, I know what I'm doing. She's like, Sarah, I'm just saying you have to really. And she goes, I know what I'm doing. And then she cut it sharp and hit the mailbox. And <laughs> she gave me permission to share that, by the way. So youth humbles us, but with age comes wisdom. I'm humbled by the wisdom of the people in this room. So many people I've just learned incredible amounts from. But if that's true, age brings wisdom. All of us should be humbled before God and His wisdom. Before the foundations of the world, His wisdom was there. Before the dust of the world was even created, his wisdom existed. We should all be humbled before God's wisdom. And so I guess, can, can you just contemplate with me, can you do some honest assessment in your own heart right now? Consider the possibility you've done it wrong your entire life, something. Something. Are you willing and able to be corrected by the Bible? 
to change from this point on? Are you? Like, I've done church that way for 50 years, 60 years. May we all be humbled by God's wisdom. Even if just revealed to us 50, 60 years down the road. Whether it be church structure or what a church worship service should look like or, or church leadership or, or baptism or alcohol or name, whatever it is, are you willing? Am I willing to say, yeah, God's wisdom is a lot older than me. May we all be humbled by God's wisdom. So that's Lady Wisdom. She gives her appeal. She uh, is now going to give her final address, if you will, and that's chapter 9. They both get something to say there. The final comparison in chapter 9 between the two. And it's really both of their households being described. I guess to summarize for you. Their households are described. Their, their lifestyles are described. And Lady, Lady Wisdom's household is described first. I want to read uh, verses 1 and 2 and, and I think verse 6 as well. Look at it. But this is what it says. Wisdom has built her house. She is, I looked this word up how to say it, hewn her seven pillars. Hewn her seven pil- pillars. She has slaughtered her beasts. She has mixed her wine. She has also set her table. I just jump down to verse 6 and it says, Leave your simple ways and live. Walk in the ways of insight. Okay. Three things I want to highlight in that. And then I want to contrast it with how the seductress's lifestyle is shown. But notice in these three verses here. She has a big house. It has seven pillars out front. Okay. Have you ever seen a house with those really big white pillars? Okay, you're like, wow, that's a big house. She has a house with seven pillars. It's a big house. Secondly, she has a feast on the table. Big house, feast on the table. Lastly, she brings life to her partner. Verse 6, leave your simple ways. This is her plea to the son sitting there listening. She says, leave your simple ways. live, walk in the way of insight. What she's saying is, choose me, walk with me, and you get life with me. And then she sits down. The seductress comes up. And we really get to see her true colors when we see her lifestyle is described in contrast to this one. Let's jump down to verses 17 and 18 with me. Stolen water is sweet, and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. But he does not know, that's the son, her prey. He does not know that the dead are there, and that her guests are in the depths of Sheol. This is describing the seductress. Now notice a few things, completely opposite of the, the lady wisdom. The seductress, she is so impoverished that she has to steal to have the basic necessity of water. Lady Wisdom, she's got a house with seven pillars. The seductress, 
she has to steal just to get water. What do you, what do you learn from that? Well, you remember she, she was the one that was, had all this perfume and the fine purple linens laid out and, and all the spices on the bed, which by the way, I'm just like, oh, cinnamon on the bed would make me sneeze, but, oh. <laughs> but whatever. Um, but she lays out all these beautiful things that just look like she's just so wealthy and so rich. But at the end of the day, the reality is she can't even afford water. Sin looks so rich, yet it has nothing to offer you. Lady Wisdom, some might say her ways are boring and unappealing. But at the end of the day, what she has to offer is a mansion. And she has a table, a feast. But you look at the seductress, she's got a little bit of bread. Just a little bit of bread. What was it that Lady Wisdom had? She slaughtered her beasts. She's mixed her wine. She set her table. Come eat my bread. Drink my wine. She's got a full feast. The seductress, she's like, I've got a little bit of bread and stolen water. Lady Wisdom, she brings life. The seductress, he doesn't know it, but all that come to her are dead. They die. What a difference. The reality is, the seductress, it's all a sham. It looks good, and it's a sham. It's a lie. My sister-in-law, this is my last story, and then I'll be done. My sister-in-law, um, her grandma, a couple years back, sad but kind of also kind of funny, kind of make jokes about it sometimes. <laughs> she, uh, she was led to believe that she had fallen in love with, uh, with a foreign prince. And he was messaging her and saying, send me money and uh, you can come over and stay with me. And she really thought he was a legitimate foreign prince of a nation. And so she's just bragging about it. Yeah, he and I are in love. I know it's, you wouldn't guess this kind of thing would happen, but it's happened. And she's sending thousands and thousands of dollars to this foreign prince. That's the sad part. Believe it or not, it was a sham. Yeah, right? It was a sham. It was complete, complete lie, but she fell for it. It looked so good. It looked so appealing, and yet nothing to show for it. Nothing to cash in on. Sham. And that's seductress. She puts perfume on the, on the bed. Reality is, she can't afford water. She's broke. We'd all think there's no way anyone would ever choose a seductress. There's no way. The reality is, if you finish Proverbs, the son picks the seductress. And the majority of the world does the exact same thing. It's true. Most of the world picks the seductress. Because stolen water is sweet. And eating in secret is pleasant. The reality is, is you're missing out on the feast of the table. You're missing out on true life and the mansion to behold. 
we all have this same struggle and the same decision to make that the son had to make. So whatever that temptation is, maybe it is lust and sex. Maybe it's pride and judgment. Maybe it's slothfulness and laziness. Whatever it might be, would you hear the word of God today? You can't walk both paths at the same time. It's one or the other. The one offers temporary pleasures, long-term death. The other one offers lasting pleasures and satisfaction found in the person of Jesus. And there's nothing better. Nothing better. Let me pray for us. Thanks for listening to today's sermon. If you live in or near Bethany, Missouri, we invite you to join us for our worship services held on Sunday morning and Sunday evenings, as well as our various activities on Wednesday nights. For more information on how you can get involved, visit our website at bethanyibc.com. 